Hi everyone, this is Kaz and welcome to this episode of Stepping Out. I hope you're all well and enjoying the lovely pre-spring weather we're experiencing right now. Oh, there are so many lovely things happening out there, aren't there? And every time I go out, there are more buds on the trees and the grass is getting greener and there are loads more tweeters twittering away. And it's great because I can use my Bird Nerd app now, which I've gone crazy about and my friend Julie to thank for that. It's brilliant. You set it to listen and it tells you what bird you're listening to. I'm obsessed. And it's a lovely added activity on my walks, which have become a tad more enjoyable because there is a little less mud out there, folks. So the trails are opening up again and it couldn't have happened soon enough. It's 16th of March 2021 and the kids have been back to school for a whole week now. Woohoo! And if yours have done the same, maybe you feel like your head has a bit more space in it like mine does. Took me a while to feel like I had my own brain back without any questions about algebra and stories about Fortnite. Oh yeah, great. And uh, crikey, that lockdown went on a bit, didn't it? I mean, it's lovely to have them here, but it's equally as lovely for them to go to school. And I feel now like I've got kind of knot in my in my head that's being kneaded out of my mind and balance is gradually being restored. So long may that continue. So let me introduce you to my guest today. And that person is singer, songwriter and presenter, Tony Hadley. So she put a hand inside my shirt and started massaging my chest. That's like... <laughs> I'm not being funny, love, but that's not doing me any favours at all. (laughs) Tony was born on the 2nd of June 1960, so he's a fellow Gemini. And he, with his band, had eight top ten UK albums. And after his final split from Spandau Ballet in 2017, he has gone on to have success with his band, the Tony Hadley Band. Now, I know Tony because he happens to be a neighbour of my parents. And I have to say, he's a lovely chap, having got to know him a bit over the years. And he offered to come and have a chat, and I said yes. We talk all about how he got into singing, his time in Spandau Ballet, Band Aid and Live Aid in 1985, and his time in the jungle in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, and also about his charity treks for action medical research. We also plonked ourselves into Saturday Swap Shop mode, and overall it was a very interesting and fun chinwag. So, pop your shoes on, go for a walk, enjoy Tony's story, and I'll be back at the end. Enjoy. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time because I know you're really busy. Uh, Is there much going on at your house today with your lovely family? Well, I'm not as busy as I used to be, put it that way. Well, the kids are at school. Uh, Jen, Genevieve, and, and Zara are at school, which is brilliant. Like, you know, it's fantastic. They're back at school again with all their mates and everything. And um, yeah, just getting. I, th- I think things are getting a bit busier now because um, I'm getting a lot more interviews coming through, and people saying, you know, because we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So everyone's kind of saying, oh, you know, when are you going to get? When are you gigging again? Are you excited and stuff like that? So. So I've actually been doing a lot of radio, a lot of podcasts, um, just letting people know that I'm alive and kicking and want to get back to work. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it is a bit promising out there. There is that real kind of hope into the future, finally, even though we're all a bit tentative to start with, going, um, is it going to be another lockdown? Who knows? But now it seems like it's getting there. So, oh, good. Well, I've had a few people um, kind of... I, the, the words got out there that you're on here so i had a few questions oh, really trickle in well my fault really <laughs> and i thought i thought we'd kind of do one of those um in true sort of 80s styley as if you're on a phone in for saturday swap shop you might get a few questions popping up sort of during i remember yeah. saturday swap I shop remember wow. that? saturday that swap shop saturday superstore oh, yeah we God. used to do we used to do all those yeah when it was um uh yeah i was a bit younger <laughs> Yeah, just a bit. So should I, should I start by going a bit way back? Time? Yeah, go on, go way back, go on. <laughs> All right, go on then. So what I want to know about, and I'm really interested in this, is from growing up and being at school, because you were in Islington, weren't you? So yeah, how yeah. did how did your singing career start? Because that's quite a different tact to, uh, to take from the usual sort of stuff that kids would have done back then, I'm guessing. So when did you realise your voice was good enough to be in a band or did you feel you were never in line for dreams, Tone? Oh, did I? There's, there's a quote. <laughs> um, what can I say? Well, because I, 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 I went to uh, Clerkenwell Parochial School, which was a sort of sort of high church of England school, just around the corner from my mum and dad's in Islington. And, um, you know, we I, we had a couple of nuns there, Sister Constance, Sister Edna. Mm. And we uh, the people won't realise this. So the hymn sheets 
were these huge, great big sheets that were on uh, rope rollers. So you had to hold, I mean, this great big thick, uh, it must have been like five foot by three foot uh, hymn sheets that you had to hold up against the wall. Mm. And when you wanted the next hymn, you had to bring it down and flip this great big sheet of paper over so that we could all see the words to the hymns. So that that was my school, very antiquated, outside toilets. Uh, you know, Danny Chisner used to come and put the Coke in the Coke fires in the morning in the classroom. Wow. It was like being in, it was like Victorian school day, you know, school <laughs> day. It really ago? was. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago, but it was, yeah. things have changed so much. So that's kind of where I started singing, singing hymns. We were all singing in church. Then when I went to Dame Alice uh, grammar school just literally around the corner um that again was it was a big singing school we had a music teacher mr lewis i think it was i'm sure it's mr lewis and um and i got picked for the special choir sang at the guild hall by that time my mum and dad had bought me a record uh, a, a tape deck one of the old push button cassette mm. decks in 1971 i think it was and then my uncle uh, had a record shop. He gave me a record, The World of David Bowie. I was massively getting into music, Seven Seas of Rye Queen, you yeah. know, Rod, Elton, Roxy, all that kind of stuff, Mark Boland, Bowie. So I just started singing along. I had an old um, uh, record player that my mum and dad lent me, and I just used to sing along to the records and record myself. And I thought, well, you, sound, you don't sound too bad. I'm there. okay. And <laughs> I'm all right. And that, that was it. And then what? Then what happened, it, we used to go to holiday camp, Pontian's holiday camp, uh, twice a year, actually, Wick Ferry down in Christchurch. And then we'd go to somewhere like Breen Sands or so I think it's Somerset. And um, I finally plucked up enough courage because I remember I used to go to the auditions for the school plays at Dame Mellow Science, but I never had the confidence mm -hmm. to, to actually audition. And eventually I set myself an ultimatum. I said that if I don't go and sing in front of 400 people while we were on at Pontins, then I will never ever sing again. So that kind of, it was a Jekyll and Hyde. Wow. So it forced me to, to, to get on stage. Halfway through, I forgot the lyrics, which has haunted me ever oh, since. No. Has it really? First, yeah, first song was Lady Madonna, the Beatles, you know, Lady Madonna. Um, but anyway, but people said, hey, oh, oh kids, you know, you got a good voice. I signed a few autographs. The girl that I'd fancied all week, uh, we went out, and I thought, this is all right. This is all right, <laughs> this. <laughs> this, this. This could be the life for me. So, um, so yeah, that's what how I started. And then we, when we, uh, our school moved from the Angel Islington to uh, uh, Potter's Bar, and we had a proper music room there with a drum kit. I'm, I've always been a frustrated drummer. And, uh, and then one day, uh, Steve Norman, John Keeble, Gary Kemp, Michael Ellison and a couple of girls barged into the music room. I got kicked off the drums and uh, re realised John Keeble was a, a far better drummer than me. And I used, to, I used to come and watch him and they were rubbish. And, <laughs> and I thought the one thing you guys do need is a proper lead singer. And so Steve Norman was said to me, look, we're looking for a singer. And I said, mate, if I'm, I'm here this you is found me. him mm. you know you found him and, and that was the start of the band so a, a bit of a long story but I suppose it, it yeah it takes a while through the years to get to the point we actually join a band and we were called various different names and eventually became Span Our Bye. Oh what were your names before then? When we were formed the band when we were 16 we were called The Roots mm -hmm. because we were playing sort of R&B covers like Sora Standing There, Midnight Hour, Silver Train so we were thinking of rootsy R&B music. Mm -hmm. Then we were The Cut and that was a bit harder edged. Uh, eventually then we were The Makers, we were like a punk power pop band and uh, like a, almost like a Generation X kind of band. Mm. Um, and we were playing all the punk clubs in London. Uh, yeah, the Rock Garden, the Roxy down on Neil Street, Ground, Fulham Palace Road. We, we played everything. Um, but we didn't, we nearly got there as the mm. makers, but not quite. Um, then we were Gentry. 
Um, that was pretty rubbish, actually. I'm <laughs> 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 being, being honest. And, and then we just then then London was changing, you know, post-punk, um, the whole kind of blitz thing, the German influence uh, from Kraftwerk, like Düsseldorf, things like that. Mm. And we we bought a synthesizer, and and it changed the whole sound of the band. And, mm. um, yeah, a lot of '80s stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Depeche Depeche down in Basel. I remember. I remember going to see Depeche Mode down in Basildon, actually, and they were really good. I mean, oh, you I know, like that them. kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw I saw them actually in concert. They were amazing, actually, weren't they? They're still going, and they're, they're a great bunch of lads as well. And we we played the Botanical Gardens in uh, Botanical Gardens in Birmingham, uh, which is still there. And then afterwards, we went up with um, a band that we've heard, heard about. We weren't even signed called Duran Duran, who were hanging out at the Rum Runner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were all hanging out together, the Spans and the Duranis, before we'd even signed a record deal. And uh, so we were mates a long time, quite a while before we, we had any success. But you know, good days, good days. Human League, uh, 1977, 78, I saw them down in Wardour Street, and uh, they were amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, because it sounds like as well that, you know, that, that's quite a story to to go through to get to, you know, where you were when you were sort of on top of the pops and things like that. And you're a fellow podcaster as well with a show called Stars, yeah, Cars, yeah. Guitars. I, lo- I just love the intro to that. How's it going? Stars, Cars, Guitars. Well, we met him. He was, uh, he's called Red. Uh, oh, the name's pretty brilliant name. <laughs> and he's this guy and he's just got the deepest voice. You know, he, does all the, he does all the film stuff. And I said, I said, have you met lots of film stars? He's met all the I film bet. stars. He knows them all. He's American. He's a super cool chap. And uh, yeah, he said so he very kindly did our did our intro. Yeah, what a man. We started the podcast because it was Alex Dyke and um, uh, Jim Cregan. Jim Cregan plays with Rod Stewart and stuff. Played with Rod Stewart for many many years. Wrote so many songs with him and stuff. And he's a big producer. So so those two were friends, and they they. So they've known me over the years, and they said, "Oh, let's let's get Tony." Mm. So the idea was to, to to basically have a bit of a chat, talk about music, um, with a view to to doing TV. And now we've got TV companies interested. Yeah. Uh, so we want to go and interview all the um, all, all the top musicians, the people that we love around the world, and just you know, it is about guitars. It is about cars to a certain extent, but it was also about lifestyles. You know, what's your favorite food? wines where's your restaurant i mean i i I want the budget to stretch to la because i love los angeles it's so good oh well if you need anybody to come over and do any like little voiceovers or anything tone you know who to ask i'll give you a call i'll give you a call what i was going to ask you actually about that because i heard you talking on episode about how hard it is for young bands these days because you talked about your story there a bit but how hard it is for them to get noticed so how do you think today compares to when you kicked off your career because that already sounds quite a difficult track to go down well it it's always been hard let's not forget any anything to do with the arts whether you're an artist an actor actress uh, you know sculptor whatever it is mm. it's a tough business because it's a niche business and you've got to be very good at it to get recognized so from the start it's always difficult but at least i suppose as a young up-and-coming band we had the opportunity to play in lots of pubs and clubs and, and things like that there's very few outlets for for new music these days um certainly there's not many pubs that play music anymore most mm. of them have turned into you know gastro pubs or yeah. whatever, and they don't have music television used to love music uh, i mean we were always doing regional news shows where they'd have a pop segment we 20th century box which exposed the band as a up-and-coming band you know top of the pops obviously was a big one but there were loads of other peripheral shows uh, and really television doesn't like music anymore so the only show you've got is later for jules holland mm, i love other that, than that yeah. yeah it's good they have some good stuff on there um but other than that, it, it, it's it's pretty tough. And of course, uh, we're talking to, and I think I think I mentioned it on the podcast, but talking to one of the A&R guys at Warner's, they were saying that they they don't even release a single from a band or an artist, even if it's like the best thing since sliced bread, until they've done at least a year of social media 
connection mm. connectivity and stuff because they know it's going to fall flat kind of thing i guess don't they if, if that hasn't all been set the scene hasn't been set beforehand releasing a song is just not gonna yeah, go. yeah. i think you're right i think it is set in the scene whereby it, you know in the past yeah of course you did gigs and you did some pr promotion you might even go and visit schools and stuff but music sort of you know if it was a good record radio would embrace it radio would go hey i've just got this new band and and there was an enthusiasm for music but there doesn't seem to be that i mean when was the last time you heard a dj on radio go wow this is a great record mm. i love this you don't hear that very often. I mean, most of the time, they don't even mention what the flipping record was. Yeah, and it's not always a personal recommendation, is it? I mean, you used to have John Peel back in the day and he was right yeah. on those sort of things, but now it's more like, this is the song of the week, you know? It's not really personal, is it? No, I mean, I, I think that's the thing. I mean, I remember when Simon Bates on Radio, Radio 1 mm. and True was our third album. Now, up until that point, if I'm honest, we hadn't had a great deal of success. Yeah, Story was number five, but the albums hadn't really sold. So we weren't selling hundreds of thousands of albums. We were still living at home with our mums and dads and mm -hmm. stuff and, uh, you know, borrowing your dad's car. Um, so when True came along, which was a departure in terms of sound-wise for the band, but it was Simon Bates that said, oh, wow, I've got the new Spanner Ballet album. There's a, tra a title track, True. Oh, it's amazing. It's brilliant. It should be number one. And he played the record twice. Mm. I don't remember a DJ doing that for years. And, and it's a shame that be because you new bands and new artists, they really need a helping hand. Um, so, But it's tough out there. It really is. Yeah. Okay. I've got a Saturday Spot Shop question for you. <laughs> it's, it's from me it's from my younger self right um oh god <laughs> so i'm swapping a space hopper for a rara skirt because i never had one tone can you believe that never right, had a rara okay. skirt Hope you're listening to this time. I know. Never did you had have multi-coloured leg warmers? Did you have any other multi-coloured um, leg warmers? I had. I did actually, and I did have some very bright leggings and a matching shirt, like you did back then. Everything was matching: yellow, turquoise. Oh no! <laughs> you know, all the jeans are coming back. Those high-waisted uh, oh, ladies' jeans that, that are faded, kind of faded denim, and they're and, and sort of s slightly cut up from the ankle. And I'm like. No, no don't bring them back. No, no, but, uh, <laughs> Some things your, went get well. Your, get your mum a pair. I'll so right. pull you a pair think... of 80s trousers. <laughs> exactly. I, <know. laughs> I think flares were quite um, quite a good comeback because they were quite flattering, but not those high-waisted things. Come off it. Well, not for anybody oh. over the age of about 16. <laughs> Sorry if you wear them and you're older than that. I'm sure you're very trendy. Nah. Well, there'd be people out there buying the elasticated ones you can buy in the back of the Sunday newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be me. Okay, so my question is, right, here we go. So I know you like the lyrics. <laughs> you remember these. So mother doesn't know where the love has gone and when she smiles, she shows the lines of sacrifice from the song Through the Barricades, as you know. Was this a prophetic song about homeschooling? No, I'm joking. Why <laughs> is it your favourite Spandau song? Because it is, isn't it? Well, it's quite a departure. For, I mean, if you look at some of the lyrics... Uh, we, we grew up in an era, I suppose, the 70s and even the 60s, really, with some of the, you know, psychedelia at the end of the 60s, prog rock and all that kind of stuff. And if you listen to kind of Bowie, Roxy, Mark Boland, Bebop Deluxe, all those kind of bands were sort of, the lyrics were way out there. Uh, I, I mean, you know, Gene Genie, I mean, what was that about? Virginia Plain. Uh, mm. So a lot of the songs were kind of the lyrics were sort of off but martha the dog there's a dog i can dog. hear martha <laughs> oh she wants she wants to get in on it she wants to get in on it you get and, in um, on it mate <laughs> so so a lot of the lyrics were, were kind of out there really so a lot of the lyrics for spandau were kind of a bit bit weird but when we got to i mean they were good lyrics because mm. they rhymed and they made they didn't necessarily make sense uh <laughs> sometimes only to the writer but when it came to through the to come through the barricades, it was this was a story. This was you know it was about love across the divide. It was Romeo mm. and Juliet. So all of a sudden, for me, it was it was telling a story and it was quite emotional. Mm. And I mean, as I grew up, I got massively into like a lot of the American artists, like especially Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, John Cougar, Mellencamp, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's much more st storytelling. Uh, Bruce Hornsby, uh, 
much more storytelling than the British stuff. But um, but I like it all. But no, Barricades, I, I absolutely love it. And it's got, because the other reason is vocally, it's got the real soft bits at the beginning. Yeah. But then when the drums come in, you've got, the, you know, the big, oh, turn around, I'll be there. You've got the big power. Mm-hmm. It's the big power ballad. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Because there were a lot of days back then, when I listen to 80s music now, when I look back on all the stuff that I really liked back then, like, you know, when you, a song that really resonates with you and you, it's a storytelling process. You don't realise actually when you listen to it back then, how much of a story it was. It's only now as as an adult, sometimes you can see and feel the meaning behind things you know so um it, yeah i find it a really interesting process to go back every now and again and go oh you hear a song you think i completely forgot about that song that was really because you know a lot of the popular stuff gets replayed yeah. and, and it's lovely but some of the stuff that you that was perhaps a little bit abstract and, and you know some of yours that that weren't you know, like true obviously is everywhere but through the barricades is, is something slightly different isn't it so yeah it's interesting to hear all of that it's a it's a good little tune that a good little tune. <laughs> it's really really nice. But you um you formed in nineteen seventy nine, didn't you? But in nineteen eighty three. Well, formed in nineteen seventy six. Seventy six. But oh, formed our Ballet in seventy eight. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's when Martin joined the band. Before Martin joined the band, it was uh, the original lineup was uh, myself, John, Steve, Norman, Gary, Kemp, Michael Ellison. Then we had Richie Miller, who was yeah. our second bass player then eventually martin joined the band 78 and uh we all dressed up like robin hood and <laughs> had a lot of success <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna say 1983 you're in your kind of new romantic get up um because you yeah. sort of changed a bit at that point and you were about to sing communication i think on top of the pops wasn't it and you were were you 23 was he 23 20, at that point? 23, 22, oh, 23, yeah. God. What was going through your mind at that point on stage? It must have just been like, what? How did I get well, here? Well, if I'm really honest, it's a bit like you said that as you grow older, you look back sometimes reflectively and you go back to things and go, oh, wow, yeah, I know what that meant then. But at the time, it's just going so fast and, and everything's going mad and you, you're on top of the pops, then you've got promotion, then you're flying off to Holland, then you get to Germany. And sometimes you don't actually take stock of what's happening to you. Yeah. And it's not until you get older that, that I find myself now, I know this sounds, this sounds a bit drippy, but you, you know, if you walk around London or, or, or old cities or whatever and actually look up, and look at the skyline and look at the beautiful architecture. It's, it's something you don't do when you're younger. Mm. It's a really weird thing. And, um, you know, as they say, you know, wish, wish I knew what I knew yeah, <laughs> when I was absolutely. younger. But So a lot of the time, it's just going in an absolute whirlwind. But the video for, you mentioned communication. Um, that was, I loved that because I had a three litre Capri that I could smash up. We filmed it down the the George V docks, and uh, John Conte, the boxer, was in it, and Leslie Ash, gorgeous Leslie Ash. So so um, there's me and Leslie Ash doing a little scene before we, we start the music kind of thing. And I said, God, I'm so nervous. I said, I've never, I've never said any dialogue before, and I was, I was so nervous. And I was probably as corny as you like. And anyway, she said, oh, Leslie, don't worry, don't, just calm down. So she put her hand inside my shirt and started massaging my chest. What? <laughs> I'm not being funny, love, but that, that's not doing me any favours at all. <laughs> Bless her. She's lovely, she is. And John Conte was great. Uh, there's a last scene in that video, I remember, where we were literally just eyeball to eyeball, me and John Conte. And he was he's such a funny guy as well, really, yeah. So I remember that really vividly, actually. Oh, it's so interesting. So talking about um, songs from that kind of era as well, because I had a lovely time putting this podcast together because I got so caught up in listening to all the tracks and stuff. And what I love about your back catalogue is the memories, because as soon as I listen to True, for example, it transports me straight back to, I'll tell you where, 1983, I was dancing my very first slow dance in the Georgian Dragon Pub party room in West Wickham. And I was resting my little little arms straight out onto somebody else's shoulders like you did. (laughs) And uh, I decided to sort of look at that video because I wanted to see, because back then as well, I'm not sure if I really remember many of the videos from back then. So I thought, I'll just have a look at the video for this. Blimey, you're a right heartthrob in that video. So I want to know what was the closest call you've had with a crazy love struck fan 
and or do you still get those now um yeah you do actually you do you do get it um Number one, I've I, I got. A, I, I think it's a dreadful video. It's always flipping. The one minute I've got the mic in the, uh, got the wire in the mic. Next minute the wire's not there. It's to for the biggest song that we ever had. It was number one in twenty-one countries in the world. It's a flipping awful video. Uh, really dreadful. But anyway, but uh, thanks for the heartfelt thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, you do. You get. Um, you still get. Yeah, women kind of sort of coming up to you and go, oh, I think you're lovely and everything, really? <laughs> That's not what I said to myself this morning. What my wife said to me last night. <laughs> so it's, what about back then, uh, though? You must have had people just chucking themselves at you at the time. When you, you know, what, what well, was that like? Could you walk outside quite easily? Yeah, I, I made a decision from the early, very early days that I would lead, lead a very normal life. I mean, you, you, you know, you know me. Mm. It, it, if I want to go to the pub, I go to the pub. That's yeah. that's my environment. That's what I love. Hanging out with the lads and, you know, going out with my wife and kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, from a very early, from the very early days, all my mates who are still my mates to this day are just ordinary guys, and um, and they would certainly keep my feet on the ground. So. My my greatest thing was was going out having a drink with my mates, even when I you know I'd just been on top of the pops. Yeah. So I never let it get to my head, but also a lot of the fans were thirteen and fourteen year old fans, and and a lot of them are still following us even today. And now they bring along their kids and drag their has husbands along as well. So it's kind of kind of weird. So they were very young kids, and yeah. um, so we we didn't get that the the women in a sense throwing themselves at you because they were all kids really. And also, the other thing is, don't take it too seriously. It's mm. it's a beautiful job. It's a wonderful dream come true job that we're lucky enough that I'm lucky enough to get paid for still. But you know, it's 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 all it's people who live in bubbles. You know, people think that my life is wonderful and fluffy, and it's it's the same as everybody else's. I just do a different job which happens to be a nice job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you mentioned how you know me there, but I don't remember the first time I met you. Um, because the last time I met you was on my sister's bedroom wall. <laughs> so it was a little bit weird, kind of, uh, oh, hi, hi, hi. Um, okay. So obviously it's now tone. it's a bit different. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just don't think about it anymore. But um, yeah, I can imagine, and, you know, people, it's sort of gone full circle. It's nice that your music has changed as well. And you still really obviously have a, a huge passion for singing and for music. And I'm really impressed by oh, your yeah. staying power because... Yeah, I mean, you still have a real heck of a voice. How do you manage to keep it so powerful as you've as you've aged? And let's embrace that because voices don't necessarily stay strong, do they, as the years go by? No, they don't. It's a real weird one. I mean, I, I number one, I do practice. You'll see me singing in the car, you know, if you're going slow enough. Uh, so I'm always. And I'll practice full pelt as well. I mean, and and, um, and on the lead up to when festivals start again, you know, I, I will have to do four sessions a week. And and it's all about learning how to sing. I was I was trained by an opera singer, Pamela Blesser, wonderful mm. Canadian opera singer, Pamela Dodds. I trained with her for two years, and she taught me so much about singing, keeping your voice, but always to maintain your your individual voice don't sound like anybody else you sound like you and so whether you like my voice or not whatever I sing whether it be a Bowie song or my song or whatever I just sound like me mm. I can never escape that um but it's just it's just keeping it oiled up it's like anything else if you don't run you know I mean your your fitness is amazing I mean you know if you don't run for three months and then you try and go on a four mile run you're gonna suffer well, I have to say I don't run, so if I did do that, I would suffer. <laughs> but, yeah, all the other things, yeah, you're right. You're right. You do lose that fitness really quickly, and I guess it's the same in your in your voice. But it's knowing how to sing properly as well. That's, yeah. I mean, my advice to any young singers out there, number one, don't believe the hype. Do it because you, you, you want to do it and you're passionate about singing or the arts or whatever. Don't do it because you live in the dream that your mum and dad had. Mm. Okay, that's what really annoys me about some of these talent shows. Um, uh, the mums and dads are, are pushing their dreams through their children. Yeah. Do it because you really want it and do it as an individual and be unique. But also take singing lessons. You know, you, you go to school, you learn how to do this, that and everything else. And it's no different if you're a singer. Take some good lessons from a good coach and learn how to do it properly.
and your voice, your voice, if you, if you keep it well oiled and everything else, will be good. I mean, for me, uh, my my big thing is sleep. When I'm on the road and I'm doing gig after gig after gig, get the sleep. I'm, I'm sleeping 10, 11 hours a day. Right. I'm steaming and I do a long sound check and I do lots of warm ups before I sing. And funny enough, Pavarotti, when he was interviewed, he said, what, what, do you, what do you do to preserve your voice? He said, I sleep. That's all I do, I sleep. <laughs> and, and lots of water. Mm. And a few glasses of wine to of keep course. me going. Of well. course. You need a bit Absolutely. of Absolutely. Don't you? Well, talking of young voices, you've headlined the Young Voices concert, which is the largest school choir in the world, where kids come together to big venues from all across the country. And I know you love doing that. And my boys happened to be in it a couple of years uh-huh. ago. Too. Oh, crikey. I have to say, it was pretty tear-jerky and, and pretty overwhelming emotionally. That must have been a fairly humbling experience to hear. 8,000 kids, was it, behind singing with you? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was, when I was asked to do it, I, I, I did it at the very beginning of Young Voices, and it was just a small affair, so many, many years. So I was asked to come back after, I, crumbs, I don't know how many years it was, but anyway. But it was brilliant. So it's all, all of us has become this massive thing, schools from all over the countries, 8,000 kids on stage uh, behind you, rock band on stage, and we're doing quite anthemic sort of songs. The first year I did it, we did um, stuff from The Greatest Showman, which was like, wow, brilliant. Mm. And then the second year we did uh, songs from Queen. Um, one of the songs was Who Wants to Live Forever. What a oh, song that was. Epic, that one. With all the kids singing and everything. and, the, and it, So it was, it was amazing. What I loved about it so much was the enthusiasm from the children. There's a lot of... People are very um, dismissive of young people today, I think. And they say, oh, you know, they're not as tough or whatever. And, and I, I don't know, just quite dismissive sometimes. Mm. These kids are there from lunchtime till nine o'clock. They are jumping up and down. They're waving their arms in the air. They are singing. They're shouting. They're screaming. Most amazing kids. When you look at those kids, you realise that we, we have a good future as a country, they are fantastic. And, and all the teachers as well, all their time for nothing. Take my hat off to them, brilliant, yeah, absolutely it, fantastic. It just was incredible, the fact that they'd learn everything. And we had no idea because obviously the teachers are doing that at school and we just rock up at the O2 and there they are. And it was, <laughs> it was just the most amazing wall of children. That's what you described as. A, there was a lovely bit as well where you sang gold when, when our boys did it. And every time you sang gold, the whole of the kids' choir lit up in gold. I mean, it was just like, what? It was mind-blowing. It was amazing. So it's really good. Yeah. But you're, you're um, obviously, we mentioned your podcast and your your BBC Three Counties radio show, which is really cool. How did you feel getting into radio presenting? Because that conversation style of broadcasting, and I know you love a chat, but that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? <laughs> that's an understatement, isn't it, Cass? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to push the sound out on a stage, on a mic, and then suddenly you're kind of chatting with all these people. You must Are you in your element? I mean, how did you find that transition doing that? Yeah, pretty, pretty good, really. I just talk a load of old nonsense, really. I don't... I don't... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't script anything. Um, they, they, they tried one one station with several artists to, to script, which they did. They actually everyone was doing it from script. And I said, whoa, 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 just a second. Here. I do not, I don't do scripts. Just let me do what I do, and mm. I'll just chat and come up with stories and anecdotal stories or whatever, and just just have a conversation. And um, and I think you know at first it's quite nerve-wracking uh, I must admit because you're out of your comfort zone mm. but I, I got into it pretty quickly and um and doing the three counters show 10 to 12 on a Sunday morning BBC <laughs> three counters radio especially <laughs> nice and marvelous and uh but it's it's great we play great music um uh, some you know older music and stuff but we're also playing new music which I love we're playing unsigned bands. We have a music introducing uh, track every week from an unsigned band. So, and it's just lots of born on this day, you know, this was the biggest album, this one, however many Grammys or something like that. So yeah, there's, there's you just love a it. big, yeah, I just really enjoy it. Um, and since lockdown, I've been doing it completely live as well. So um, it gets me out of the house. Ali's kind of pleased. She's Hi like, darling, really? love you, see you. <laughs> Yeah, because it's always uh, nice to release a loved one into the outside lockdown world, isn't it? Yeah. Just for a few hours, well, that's quite nice. 
Well, it's been difficult for. I mean, we're we're lucky. You know, we live in a a great area and stuff, mm, and yeah. uh, so we are surrounded. You know, even if you live in in a town or whatever, we're, we're pretty much within five minutes. You can go to fields and or, or go to mm. Wadston Manor or something like yeah, that, which is beautiful. It. So you've got a lot of opportunities. If you're stuck in the city, wow. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, people say to, you know people say to me, say, oh, "What do you know? You got the life of Riley." Say, "Well, just a second here, mate." You know, my nan and granddad did live on the twenty-first floor of Michael Cliff Flats in, in Islington. We were a family that lived with two other families in one house with a communal front door. We were lucky we had an, an inside toilet. Most of my mates had outside toilet. Uh, and most of my mates didn't even have a bathroom. So so people, you know, they're, they're quick to kind of be judgmental. But um, when you talk about my upbringing when I was a kid, people are like, really? I say, yeah, that's what it was, that's what it was like. Mm. It was pretty primitive. Um, we, we were lucky my mum and dad were, were, were solid parents and my dad had a good job, but but no, we, we didn't own our own house. Um, the only reason we had a bathroom is because my dad built one because he was he was electrical engineer, pretty handy at DIY. But all my mates had outside toilets and that to go to the, the wash baths down the road, the Merlin Street swimming pool, and they had a load of baths. I mean, you won't even, you won't even know this, because... I don't remember that. I'm not that old. <laughs> well, well, London was kind of, you know, it was it's kind of different. So you used to have all, you used to go to the, the the baths, the swimming baths, and there was also a massive laundry room where all the women used to do their laundry. And then there were bars. There'd be like 15 bars all in a row in cubicles. And you'd go in the cubicle and you'd get in the bath. And when you needed more hot water, you used to shout out for it. So it's kind of more water. I love these stories. More number nine. It it really makes you realise how far we've come, doesn't it? On all levels, wherever you live in. I mean, really, being all of those. Oh, it sounds like flipping Dickensian times. That's crazy. But in in a bit, to to a large extent, I suppose it was. Mm. Um, You know, I, I sometimes I think. I mean, I don't think of myself as being, you know, I'm 60 now, but I'm still like 28. I'm still like a kid in a sweet shop. Peter Pan. So when you relay these stories to people, uh, especially younger people, they're like, no, you are kidding me. I say, yep, that's, that's what it was like. Mm-hmm. But it was good. It was the only thing we knew. So when I decided that I wanted to be a singer in a band, uh, um, you know, we played at the, the Queen's uh, Silver Jubilee in 1977. We played at the street party. We were the makers in Inglebert Street. Um, you, you know, people didn't become famous. That was another world. You didn't mm. enter into that. Mm. Well, I tell you what, when you were famous, let me get on, because I cannot have you on the show without talking about this. When yeah. you got Band Aid and Live Aid. I know you probably talked about it a million times, but I've got to talk about it because you obviously were famous by that point and you were in a bunch of people that were also quite famous. Um, And that was a really, that must've been a really big turning point because it was um, obviously a turning point in your life and and a very important part of what you did, but also in the charity world, because that must've been an amazing time back then to know that you were part of not only a fundraiser, but one with such an important political backdrop to it, which was, you know like whatever happened at that point so quickly with with bob behind it um was amazing what was the feeling like in that room when you were recording under his gaze because he was a real firecracker wasn't he well he was and also i gotta mention midger because mitch doesn't get enough credit for everyone everybody goes bob bob yeah that's true midger is you know i'm great friends with both of them but um Midge doesn't get a lot of credit, and he was very, very, very much an integral part of the whole thing. Right, scenario. Us and the Duranis doing a, I think it was Peter's Pop Show in Germany. We'd had a massive session that night. Woke up the next morning. We knew we were going to record this charity song, but we didn't really think, so I just stroll in. We didn't really think too much of it, really. Uh So we turned up at the airport. Someone said there's 300 screaming fans out there, all the media's out there. So from the time that we went to Germany, we were doing bits of touring and stuff like that and, and TV shows, the whole thing had just blown up. And it's mm. the media were on it, you know, save the, the people of Ethiopia became a, a huge uh, item. So, of course, we weren't aware of it. I mean, it wasn't like 
things were different then. You didn't yeah. have the communication. You or, didn't hear about it, the, did you? Mm. Social media didn't exist, you know. Um, so all of a sudden there's TV cameras out there. So we've all rushed into the toilet, get the hairspray out, bit of makeup, because we're all looking a bit rough. And uh, <laughs> and there we were. We we went to Psalm West, um, Trevor Horn Studio. Um, we all went in there and there was status quo, George Michael, Phil Collins, Sting, Paul and the gang, oh, Bananarama, Paul Weller. I mean, so many the whole gang. amazing artists, the whole gang. And I remember we were all crammed, I mean, tightly crammed into the control room, trying to work out who was going to do the first line. And uh, <laughs> the backing track had already been done. And Gobby Geldof, as we call him, is, uh, I can't do the accent, but he said, uh, go on, Hadley, go on, you go and start us all off. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, and he actually, it's actually in his book. I, I was thinking, oh no, there's all, there's all my contemporaries there. There's, and I'm going, uh, um, I'm feeling a little bit rough after last night. I've had about four hours kip. And I'm opening uh, the track. <laughs> yeah, so so I, I went in and did my lines, which was uh, the Paul Young actually started the whole thing. But before Paul, I just did my bit. And that started the whole oh, thing yeah, off. He, and, um, what was the word? Hang on, remind yeah, me. Yeah, at uh, Christmas time. That's it, yeah. It wasn't you, was it? Yeah, lad, now we banish I, I do remember nearly all the words, and it's great identifying all the singers. And uh, so, boy George, of course. Um, yeah. So it was an amazing moment. But it was, it was, you know, my Tom, who's now thirty-seven, was a baby in arms. He was just yeah, a tiny really. little blessing babies. That six foot six looks like it's a GQ crazy. model. <laughs> and it, and, it, and he, is, he is still looking for love. So girls, if you're out if there, if you're out there. And, <laughs> but what was good about that track as well is, that, like you said, everybody everybody sounded so different so you can actually pinpoint who people are and it, it's just such a um a pioneering track wasn't it right i've got another saturday swap shop question for you Here okay you. go on then so this one is from video editor ronnie in uxbridge thank you ronnie this is a very video editor question he's right. swapping his roller skates for his speaking spell for this one right and he asks, Tony, when you recorded Band-Aid and we saw the shots of you singing with your headphones on, were they recorded separately or as part of the big group? Yeah, they did the choral bitch, everybody all together. So when you see the video, mm. that was us all singing at the top of our voices, uh, all being recorded. Um, but obviously our individual parts were all, all done individually, yeah. Oh, they were done individually, okay. Oh, they, yeah. So, so you know, uh, I did my bit. Then Paul Young would do his bit, his couple of lines. So we all did our lines individually, but the chorus was all done as a group. You'd be in the control room. So this is how it works. So you're in the control room with the mixing desk, Trevor Horn, Midge, Bob, all the other artists. So I would then go down on my Jack Jones on my own, and I would then stand in front of the mic, put the headphones on, sing my three lines, I think it was. And then the next person, I did two takes, and then the next person came in. And then they they did their bit as well, and I went back up to the control room. That's so literally it was a conveyor belt of singers just going down and doing their bits. So a nice comprehensive answer for you there, Ronnie and Uxbridge. Okay, so this is this is seeing as this was at the forefront of a lot of people's minds when it went out there. Here's another caller's question. So this is Laura in Pitstone who is swapping her cabbage patch kid for a Care Bear. <laughs> And she asks, what was your most memorable Live Aid moment and were there any ego deaverish problems between acts backstage that you can talk about? No, the, the, that, that was the, the beautiful thing about it, I have to say. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most nerve-wracking days of my life. It was, oh, it was, you know, because this was such a... You two billion viewers, didn't you? Two billion. Oh. I mean, that's crackers, isn't it? You know, uh, Princess Diana, Prince Charles, all the dignitaries... 80,000 people at Wembley, satellite technology that was really mm. in its infancy. This had not really been done before. So, 150 countries that went out to as well. You just can't even believe that that happened back then, can you? You just didn't want to get it wrong. You know, you didn't yeah. want to get, you didn't want a cloud, a dark cloud to come across the satellite. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there goes your bit then, you know. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was a momentous day. The backstage atmosphere was uh, we had the Hard Rock Cafe doing all the catering, so great burgers and all the bits and bobs. Mm -hmm. um, we were all into the little uh, kind of little kind of caravanettes, I suppose, if you like. Uh, but you know, you were only in there for a period of time because to get dressed before your performance. The atmosphere backstage was 
incredible, mm, amazing. If there were no egos at all, no egos at all. This this was this was life changing. This was Band Aid and Life Aid, as, as you mentioned earlier on, Kaz, changed the way the perception that that we looked at charity. It gave music, I think, a lot of credibility, mm. in so much that. You know, here were a bunch of musicians uh, and amazing technicians behind the scenes who made a difference. Uh, I think up until that point, everyone had thought we were just a bunch of fluffy pop stars. Uh, but we made a difference, and we made a, people, a difference to people's opinions about what could be done and how we should help other people. And that led to all the charitable, all the telethons and everything that we've got now. And I think changed the status of the way people thought about charity. So yeah. I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of it. Fantastic. So well done you. And I want to fast forward a bit now to these these days. Um, these days. These days. Right, you've changed your style a little bit, haven't you? Because you now play with orchestras and the Tony Hadley Band. And But how did you decide to go down that route? Because did you sort of play with a big band once and was hooked and thought, this is what I want to do? Or was that the plan all along? Well, I've always loved, uh, I mean, Sinatra, Tony Bennett, Jack Jones, Ella Fitzgerald, all that kind of music. So, so big band has always been with me, sort of, you know, because of my mum and dad and stuff. So that's always been a big influence. But the first time I ever worked with an orchestra was with George Martin, the Beatles producer. And it was the Birmingham uh, Concert Orchestra Philharmonic, I can't remember. And it was for the Prince's Trust. And oh, they were all wonderful, wonderful. I mean, all the fantastic artists there of the day. And um, and I remember working with George Martin was conducting and I said, oh, you know, I, I was doing a couple of songs and one of them was true. And I said, oh, can we put an anticipation in there? So, but, you know, a little kind of, bah, bah, bah. Uh, and he said, no, 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 no. We'll be here for a month of Sundays if we do that. <laughs> so, uh, so my first taste of, of, because orchestras weren't used to working with rock music and pop music at the time. Now, orchestras are just, they are so uh, adaptable now, it's incredible. But before that point, they were really only doing classical pieces. Uh, so that was my first taste of working in an orchestra. It's amazing, incredible, but if it goes wrong, it's a car crash. <laughs> so make sure as a lead singer, you come in at the right time. Mm. Because trust me, the orchestra will follow the dots. They will not follow the lead singer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, because I'm, I'm really lucky because, you know, I, I've, I've been in Span now. Obviously, people know I, I left the band. Uh, but I'm luckily, I'm blessed with an amazing band, mm. fabulous TH band. We're all mates. We have a Zoom every Tuesday. My band, my crew, some of my crew have been with me 25 years. I mean, we go back a long, long way. Uh, and, and we all, we've all got a lot, most of us have got young kids and we all just love each other's company. It's, yeah. it's, it's effortless with my band. It really is. That's really lovely. So I'm, I'm a lucky boy. Lucky you boy. are a lucky boy. Because I was, as I said, I was watching some videos of yours and I saw this really good one as well where you sang Walking in Memphis. I absolutely love that song. And because that was with your band as well. Is that right? Well, yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I've, done so, so. I've done it so many times over the years. I mean, I haven't done it recently for a long time. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I've done loads of stuff. Mm. But it brings me nicely on to talk about your walking. Let's talk about your walking, shall we? Me, walk, me walking, me walking because you love a challenge don't you um yeah so let's talk about that because i'm interested to hear about your trek because you went to machu picchu didn't you for action medical research medical research well that was the first trek that i ever did um it was a it was absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant um so machu picchu obviously oh, beautiful incredible uh, yeah, have you been it's, yeah, it's incredible it's you think how the hell did they build this mm. just unbelievable but the, so the first thing when you arrive in cusco did do you notice when you because it's altitude you you breathe in and you're like whoa 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 you're spinning around it's, it's a, a bit, bit odd. kind of it's a bit odd isn't it so i remember we we all went to the hotel and it was a pretty primitive hotel and it, so there's a whole gang of us all raising money for action medical research. We had a, a doctor with a, a couple of doctors, a nurse and everything, just in case anything went wrong. And the advice, we had something to eat. And the advice was now, guys, we've got a five o'clock start in the morning. You cannot be late. So get some sleep, you know, altitude, everything else. I thought to myself, oh, I've not come all the way to Peru and not go to, to the town and see what's going on. Yeah. 
So me and a couple of that, most people just went, oh, and I'm too tired, I'm going to bed. So a couple of us thought, ah, oh, sort it, come on, we're going up to the town. So we had something to eat in the town, brilliant. And then all of a sudden I heard some music. I thought, oh, what's going on here? Walked up these stairs. I'm in a wine bar stroke nightclub. Absolutely brilliant, all going on, fantastic. And there was the doctor, the doctors and the nurses, the Trek doctors and nurses. <laughs> so you thought, this is all right? I'm so safe. Said, you're, you're, you're very naughty, very naughty. And then lo and behold, guy comes up to me, he said, all right, Tony. I said, yeah, all right. I said, he's he from London. He said, we used to play football together in the Pink Flamingos. I said, no. I said, I can't believe I'm in the middle of Peru. And I met a bloke I play football with. Um, but the trek itself was absolutely amazing. And we did three treks. We did Machu Picchu. We did uh, Cross the Savannah in uh, Venezuela to uh, Conan Doyle's uh, sort of um, the big, big sort of table mountain, if you like, mm. uh, Rama. And then we also did from the Pacific to the Caribbean through the jungle uh, of Costa Rica. So all three were amazing. But what was incredible about it was with the people that were with you uh some of them would well, in fact most of them had all gone through some sort of trauma if you like maybe they recovered from operation it could be cancer it could have been mental health issues and they were all here to raise money for a great charity but also to in a sense discover themselves and to push themselves and these tricks weren't weren't easy they were pretty tough mm. uh one one um one of our uh, trek organizers had to be stretched off she fell she literally sliced open her cheek um you know people were suffering from altitude uh, uh one of my great friends literally we weren't sure if we uh, match a picture whether we we're gonna have to stretch him down in the middle of the night which would have been really dangerous luckily we had the docks on hand injections keep him warm and he recovered so altitude sickness affects you no matter how um fit you are mm. um so yeah so in, quite incredible and it was our job to encourage people come on keep going keep going oh, but also to remember that sometimes you couldn't push people too far if your fitness levels were above theirs you're there to kind of help them we don't want these people to go into hospital and, and it was it was a wonderful experience. One of listening to people's stories, how they've got uh, through adversity and different things that have happened in their life, and just yeah. been encouraging. I remember one girl, Mandy. <laughs> Mandy, she's lovely, absolutely lovely. We were in this was the Costa Rican trek, and she wore pink all the time. <laughs> all the, she wore pink this, pink that, pink. A backpack was pink and everything, uh, and. Uh, She's carrying a small backpack. I'm going about 60, 70 pounds on my back. And because uh, I, I like carrying my own kit. And it was getting dark and she was really flagging, bless her. And I'm going, Mandy, we've got to get to base camp. We have to, we cannot be stuck in the jungle in the middle of the night. We have to. And so I was literally beasting her up. <laughs> <laughs> and Mandy, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. And I'm running her along, you know, some like sort of military essay. <laughs> she probably thanked you for it. <laughs> well, we we did get into camp and she she collapsed and uh, she's mm. just for exhaustion. But if we'd been stuck in the middle of the jungle in the middle of the night with no, I didn't have a sat nav or anything like that. Mm. Just, you know, you didn't have any of those things. We would have been, it would have been pretty dangerous. Game so over, yeah. But um, but there, there were moments like that where where you really had to kind of I don't know just just get people through it. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was amazing. Yeah. It was incredible. So much sort of mental prep and that that goes into. Well, you mentioned the jungle, so we will mention it, shall we? You went on to uh, <laughs> I'm a celebrity, and um, you're in there 22 days, which is no mean feat in that jungle. And you were yeah, you know, you were deemed the dad of the camp, and you're a dad yourself. But what made you play that role, like? What would you say was your sort of biggest achievement whilst you're on that show? Why? How did it kind of evolve for you? Well, the re the re first and foremost, the reason I did it, I've been asked about five times. No, 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 I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I mean, although I love the show, we're all massive fans of the show. Um, I've been in the jungle in Costa Rica. Love the jungle. I'd done the Spanner Valley 214, 215 tour. Wanted to finish my new album, Twitter to the Moon, and I had to re-establish myself as 
Tony Hadley. I'm back as a solo artist again because mm. Spano is such a, a, you know, it's a big brand. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I thought, right, okay, what can I do? Got asked again. I thought, right, this is the vehicle for letting people know Tone's back. And uh, loved every minute of it. Uh, didn't get on with one of the camp mates, but that's, that's by the by. But I loved every minute. I mean, they were great people to be with. We had such a great time. We we built the things they didn't show you were the like we built like a stone Cotswold wall, which was our chopping ground for all the food that we prepared. We made teepees to hang our socks and pants over over the fire. We found an old bit of wire or whatever to, to build a washing line at the bottom of the creek. We were really we, we made brooms. We we loads of stuff fantastic. that they never showed you. That really stretched you then as a person, didn't it, really, doing all of that stuff? Yeah, I mean I loved it. And mm. and what people don't realise that you have got to keep the fire all the gang. You cannot drink from the creek. You have to boil every drop of water that you drink. Mm. Um and you know the latrines are disgusting. It's it's literally just a you don't really see this, but it, it's literally just a piece of gauze and a wooden, you know, seat and a which goes down into a bucket. It's flipping horrible. <laughs> it's not nice at all. And then at times you get, you know, campmates that can really just drive you out the wall. Yeah, so you got to, you got to, Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> walk out, walk out. Uh, Ali said to me, she said, whatever you do, don't swear. I said, no, love, I'm not going to swear, it's TV. And uh, whatever you do, don't swear. And just count to 10 if someone gets on your nerves. Now, I get on with most people, but I didn't get on with her. <laughs> so there were moments where I literally just had to walk into the middle of the jungle. One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> and the rest. Uh, and, pu and punch a tree. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. It, wow. but, but overall it, it was brilliant i loved all the things that you had to do it mm. was it was challenging i was talking to harry redner uh, the other day and um and, and he we both said that people think and he thought it as well because he'd never watched an episode he thought that you know come nine o'clock when the cameras are off it was like right that's it right catering is going to come out we'll have a couple of beers <laughs> it, no it wasn't so so when you see people with a tiny piece of chocolate smelling it and going, oh, oh, this is so good. That's what it was like. You've yeah. been deprived of sugar and everything. Yeah. But it was wow. brilliant, brilliant. Crocodile legs we were eating. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Right, I've got a swap shop caller question. <laughs> Go. <laughs> okay, so we're going back to music a bit here. Um, so this is from Amelia in Austria, and um, she's swapping a pencil gonk for the game of life, which I think is a pretty good swap. Uh, and she asks, do you compose whilst you walk? And if not, what is your ideal environment for writing songs? Oh, that's a that's a mm. unique question. Well, incidentally, she wrote a book about walking, so it's kind of come from that. Yeah, sort of that's direction. kind of interesting. I'm always I'm, I'm singing normally when I'm walking. Um, you know, sometimes I might have the headphones on, so I'm kind of singing. I mean, on the trek, on the treks that we did, I mean, we we were doing miles of walking every day with backpacks <laughs> up and down terrain. That was pretty tough, and music was something that really really kind of inspired you as well um it, it's like I, i'm sort of going off but like when i ski i love mm. if i've got a mountain to go down i love putting on some right acdc or <laughs> something like that or you know and uh to put some rock music on so when you walk in that's quite inspiring but also sometimes you're coming up with melodies yeah you do come up with little melodies and things but the best environment for me is just when i'm home alone i think oh just pick up the guitar just fiddle with the piano and there's no intent i just literally start mucking about i think oh i like that chord progression and i'm not a great player i might add but i think oh that's interesting and then you just i record it on my phone or i've got an old-fashioned tape recorder and just record the idea down um Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I'm yet to have a go on your piano. I'm going to have a go on your piano. It's a nice piano, actually. It's a, it's a lo lovely. I bet you're a better player than me. I can't play. Just... Well, do you know, I used to be all right. And then yeah. I sort of said to people, oh, I play the piano. And then I go to play and I think, no, I can't. <laughs> I've forgotten. I can, And I always have to start with the classic chopsticks and then a couple of other. Oh. I like doing duets. Maybe we should do a little duet tone. I'll bring my ukulele. We could do a little bit of that together. And, you know. Honestly. My piano player is a poor, I don't know what I'm playing. I haven't got a clue. It's funny because I um, one, one of the songs that I wrote on the uh, 
last Spanner album called Soul Boy, uh, which we had a film called Soul Boys of the Western World, so I thought I'd better write a song called Soul Boy. And I remember showing it to Toby Chapman, the keyboard player, and saying, look, it's dead simple. I can only play simple chords. And he said, actually, it's not that simple. Uh, he said, because you don't know what you're playing, you don't know what, you're playing some very strange, unusual chords sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, I play with simplicity and, uh, yeah, and uh, if it is complicated, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we'll forgive you. Okay, so I have to ask you this question because it is the question of the podcast. So if you could walk with anybody anywhere in the world, alive or dead, fictional, non-fictional, who would it be? Where would you walk and what would you ask them? Oh, tricky, ooh. isn't it? It's a tricky one. Can I have two? Yeah. How is many you Okay. Like? First, I, I, I would love to have walked with Frank Sinatra through the streets of New York at night and did a long, long walk and eventually end up at his favourite Italian restaurant in New York, mm. which I don't know what it is, but I'm sure he's got he's one. He's got one. Or he had, <laughs> we had one. I'm sure he had one. I've read pretty much every book on Sinatra and he was an amazing, I think, interesting character. It, it, I mean, there's all the stuff about his links to mafia and all that kind of thing. And mm. uh, and interestingly, something Tony Bennett once said, he said, you know, everyone talks about, everybody talks about Frank Sinatra and mafia and everything else. He said, but all the clubs in those days were all owned by the mafia. Yeah. And if you, you know, you if you went in and someone from the mafia said, "Can I have my picture taken with you?" and you said no, it wasn't a wise move because you weren't going to get the gig. <laughs> you might even get a slap. And uh, listen, there are pictures of me that exist with some Italian mafia. Um, you're in a situation. You're asked, "What am I going to say? No, I'm not going to say. Yeah, okay, guys, okay." <laughs> Go for um, it. But no, so I'd love to have spoke at. Talk to talk to Frank about just had a really great chat with him mm. about his life, his voice, uh, just just everything about his, his love life was extraordinary. I mean, he really was quite an emotional man, and um, he was a very creative guy, wasn't he? And, and uh, yeah, the whole band thing in common. There'd be a lot to talk about there. Yeah, so I, I think he'd be a fascinating man to to talk to. Uh, I'd, I'd also, I'd love to go back in time and talk to Elizabeth I. Oh, I think she one. would be, um, I mean, to actually meet her, to, you yes. know, because there's, there's so many kind of pictures of her. And what's the real picture? What did she really look like? Mm. You know, how regal was she? What it was like to be in court in those days? How she dealt with all the, the infidels and the, the people <laughs> plotting against her? Oh, and, and also to, to 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 go back and see her living her life in that time. What was it really like? Mm. I'd love to know. I yeah, really would. It would be good. She would be fascinating to talk to. Where would Absolutely you walk with fascinating. her? Oh, just just in her beautiful grounds for a few hours. <laughs> and she's got she's got. Oh, and actually, in her beautiful grounds. But I'd love to have gone for a walk actually with her in old London town. Now, that would be incredible mm. to see London as it was back in the day. Yeah, oh. me too. I'd love that. And and to watch wow. everybody react to her walking yeah. around town, that would have been good, wouldn't it? Wow, that would have been quite incredible. And, and also to go, for instance, my, my school, Dame Alice Owens, was established in 1613. And uh, where the... Um, Islington Green, uh, all around there, Islington was mostly all laid to, to grass. It was all fields. Mm. And um, so I'd, I'd love to go back and try and find my old school and uh, probably, probably actually a bit later than that, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Oh, they're good ones. Right, okay, back to Saturday Swap Shop. And I've got a quick fire okay. round for you to stop finish off. Right, you ready? Okay. Go on in, go on in. Go well, on. ultra quick, you get a pogo stick if you keep to the time as well. So 10 seconds right. to answer, right? So first one, ready? Yeah, go on. Beer or wine? But wine. Oh, this much is true. Okay, hang on. Stop the clock. I've got a question from Martin in Bristol, who's swapping his yeah. game for a My Little Pony. And he asks, do you have another craft beer coming out to celebrate our freedom from lockdown, talking about beer and wine? Um, 
No, I don't. I got involved in the beer industry, created a lovely beer, Moonstone IPA, 5%. Uh, Chinese bought the company, the North Yorkshire Brewery, and I decided to stick what I'm best at. I'm, I'm pretty good at making beer. What, drinking wine? <laughs> kind of, uh, well, to be honest, that was an unfair question because I it love was. beer and wine. Oh, no, you know, so, but if I had to choose one, I'd probably drink more wine than I drink beer unless I'm in the pub with the lads. Right, but, okay. Uh, cool. Yeah, there you All go. right, start the clock. So, sweet or savoury? Savoury. Sea or swimming pool? Sea. Early morning or late night? I think I know the answer to that one. Ooh, late night probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, live or recorded? Live. LP or MP3? LP. Mm. <laughs> Cinema or lounge movie? Cinema. Cinema. Pizza or pasta? Ooh, pizza. And past or future? Future. Well done. You almost get to pogo off into the sunset. But before you go (laughs) and talking about the future, we're about to be in the future from lockdown. And you're sort yeah. of used to jetting off all over the place with your gigs and your band, and presumably you've had a load of gigs cancelled. So, how excited are you to get back onto the circuit? Um, What's on the menu for 2021? We're we're trembling with it, trembling with excitement. Uh, no, I can't. Uh, honestly, cannot wait. I mean, I've been unemployed for nearly a year. It's uh, you know, as I said, me and my band and crew, we have a, a Zoom every week, uh, and and we we are so desperate to get back and do what we do which is play live get in the studio we've got another new album to finish um but it's the same for all the theaters all the all the actors mm. the actresses all the people in the arts the technicians and everything we want to get back to normal life that's all that's what we want mm. um so our first proper proper gig although there might be stuff before i'm hoping but the first proper one is let's rock leads on june the 26th and then July and the rest of the year are looking absolutely chock-a-block. Um, there's a lot of hesitancy out there, but there's also mm. a lot of commitment from people. So I'm just hoping, hoping, hoping and praying that we can be back to normal ASAP and I can do what, what I do, which is play live and with my band. Fantastic. So uh, fingers crossed. Great stuff. Oh, it's overtone. It's over, there's a I band. said overtone. <laughs> It's overtone. overtone. It's an overtone. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. No, it was good. It was really good. Thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you. It's been been nice having a... It's it's been nice getting out and having a chat. Well, staying in and having a chat. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And even though I've talked to Tony sociably since I've known him, I've obviously never interviewed him. So I felt like I found out some more about his life and it was a lovely way to spend an afternoon. And thanks, Tony, for reminding me about stripy leg warmers. I trust you've all had a nice walk or whatever it was that you were doing whilst listening to that. And I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. It really means a lot. When I see the numbers creep up, I feel so happy and lucky that you are picking my podcast to hear as you go about your lives. If you are listening to this and think I have a story to tell or I know someone who would be good to hear, then do drop me a line at steppingoutthepodcast at gmail.com. I want this to be as inclusive as possible and I am thoroughly enjoying all of my guests. So keep tuning in and sharing and I look forward to having you along next time. Take care.